0: Welcome to My Awakening Podcast. Thank you for listening. This episode number 17 is titled Investing in Others as we continue to provide more topical episodes in our second season. Turner Cagle is my guest and he will be sharing with us about his childhood and how several important adults invested in him during some really challenging times in his youth. I hope this episode will help each of us to recognize that we have the potential to become game changers in others' lives. Here is episode number 17.
1: Come on and tell me something. Just get it
0: So I want to introduce you to, uh, Turner Cagle and let him, uh, share a bit about who he is and what his story is. So Turner, take it away.
1: All right. First off, I want to say thank you for having me. I mean, it's an honor. Um, and, um, I'm excited about doing this. So uh, thank hey, you. Thank you. um, I'm Turner Cagle. Um, I'm from Tacoma, Washington. I got here when I was about three years old. And so I'm rooted here. I came from Missouri. I can barely remember it. So this is home, um, I grew up right on the hilltop in Tacoma, um, and that's where I've pretty much been my entire life. Uh, I went to school in Wenatchee for a few years, and then I came right back here, and now I'm working in the community that I grew up in. Um, that sounds a little good, you know. Sounds good, but it hasn't. It always, uh, sorry, it hasn't always been easy. You know, um, I grew up with a single mom. Um, she's always loved me. That's never been a doubt. Um, All of her choices that she's ever made, I know she did it out of love. But uh, given our circumstances, sometimes things just were a little bit rough and a little hard. You know, I I battled homelessness. Um, um, uh, Our family was impacted by drugs. Um, And so with that, I I had to grow up fast. You know, I had to learn to navigate this world and life faster than I needed to. Um, I didn't get to enjoy the childhood that most people did which is okay, you know, um, I know God puts things in front of us um, to, to uh, prepare us for this world and, and help us get through those things, so it's always a blessing, you know, I, I count it as a blessing, and I'm strong today and healthy today, and um, I thank him for those those uh, trials and tribulations, and I've learned from them, and, and, I, and I think that's the important part, um, but uh, in high school, um, those were the hardest times, you know, because that's when you're finding yourselves and and uh trying to become a man and trying to figure out where your life is gonna go and uh without the structure and stability that I needed um choices were hard to make um taking risks was tough because you didn't have stuff to fall back on you know a lot of my friends had both parents and you know and uh when they take a risk they have their parents to pick them up and keep pushing them and Sometimes the risk that me or my brothers take could be life altering. And so, um, sometimes I just stayed in my lane and stayed out of the way. A lot of the time I didn't, um, ask for help when I should have, um, I stayed out of any school office and counselor. And I had this wall up. Um, but then I met a guy named John Grefstead, um, in about sixth grade. He was my English teacher. And, um, I don't know why. I don't know what it was. I, I'm a believer, so I, I feel like it was God putting the angel in my life. But he took a, a, a he attached himself to me, you know, and he, and he guided me. And the first thing that he did was, he, in, in eighth grade, he gave me the, uh, an award. And it was uh, Language, Language Arts Student of the Year. And I'm like, wow, what did I do? Um, he explained to me that I put forth the most effort in the class. Um, he said it doesn't necessarily mean that you were the best at that. You just gave the most effort, and I wanted to honor that. Um, he gave me a Sean Kemp jersey because I was a basketball player at the time, mm-hmm. and I got a little trophy that looked like a um, a sports trophy. Um, not knowing he was planting a seed, and he was he. I still have that trophy, and I still have that jersey, and it reminds me that. Hard work will get you through. Just work hard. Just work hard. Um, even at the things that um, that come in front of you that are hard, you just work hard and you can get through those things. Um, and I appreciate that from him. Uh, he created a program not just for me, but for my friends, you know, a, a whole group of my friends, um, Anwar Thomas, Marcus Kroski, Hiram Fuller. Jawan Brown, and I can just name a lot, but i to save time, I won't. Um, he put us in a program that, um, uh, helped us with math, English, and science. Um, he created that program at Stadium High School and he was able to track our progress and, um, challenge us to do different things. Um, I was a part of the chess club. Um, there was no one that ever was in my life that would put chess in front of me. Um, and that's something different than just trying to be a rapper or a football player or a basketball player. Um, same thing with the Language Arts Student of the Year Award. When he gave me that, that was something different than just most valuable player. or you know. And, and that was so encouraging to see that someone uh, took that type of interest in me.
0: What um, was the, uh, would you describe that as more head stuff? Yes. Uh, rather than the physicality type of thing?
1: I, head and heart. Um okay. Yes, because uh, I, lo- I love basketball. I mean, I love it. I, it, it to this day, I still love it. It, uh, it manages a lot of stuff that goes on in my life. And uh, I'm a coach now. I coach at Tacoma Community College. And um, I love it. And so I put the most into that. And when you love something, that's what you do. And so when I got an award for school, I started to learn to love it. And once you learn to love it, you want to put more into it. And so that's the seed that he was planting that was the answer. seed that he was planting. Um, and so with that, I uh, I did well. I did well in school. I did okay in school. I was never in trouble, never got suspended. I never, you know, I just did well in school. I took a liking to it. And uh, I ended up going to Wenatchee Valley Community College on a basketball scholarship. And I played basketball there. Um, but before I get to that, um, the leadership skills that I learned from John Grafstead as well, because I I just looked at him and I just stared at him. I just, why? And I just, I learned from him that there are things bigger than yourself. Um, And he always thought outside of himself. And so as a young man, um, growing up too fast and having a little brother, I had to do the same thing for my brother. And so it was bigger. My choices and my decisions were always bigger than just me because I had a little brother to take after Um, and so, uh, when I choosing what school I was going to staying close enough to be for my, my brother and, um, staying out of trouble so that I can be here for my brother and getting my license so I can drive him around and getting my first job so that we can get school clothes and, you know, little things like that, um, helped me. And so I am so appreciative appreciative of John Grefstead. Um, the story, it's pretty deep, um, as, as a junior in high school, um, I transferred schools. And for anyone that knows, uh, if you play basketball or football or sports, you can't just transfer. You, uh, you'll you have to sit out a year. And so, unless you have a hardship. Um, I definitely had a hardship. But sometimes you have to prove that hardship. And so, um, John Grefstead, well, I was homeless at the time and John Grefstead took me and my little brother in and he lived in a federal way. Um, at stadium, um, there were some things going on there that um, wasn't always supportive towards uh, a, a man, young man like myself and my brother growing, um, and so he I, he works at Stadium High School and he recognized that, and so he was
0: it a more difficult racial environment then?
1: Absolutely, um, I want to say yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, okay, uh, the support for an African American student is a lot different for a white student and. Uh, not to sound nasty or anything, but it, it's just a, a, a hard reality that we have to accept. Um, I didn't, I don't know who the counselor was there. I don't, they don't know who I was. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't realize that was a bad thing until I transferred. So I ended up in federal way. Um, he had an apartment out there in federal way and I went to Decatur high school, um, which was a similar, similar dynamic as stadium, um, a little bit more diverse, but it was similar. It was similar. And, uh, And then here's where the system comes in um, and all these rules and things that sometimes oppress us. And so uh, he wasn't my guardian and I was living with him. There there was no legal arrangement. There's no legal arrangement. And because I was living with him and he wasn't my legal guardian, I couldn't play sports at Decatur High School, which um, I needed. He knew I needed that. I needed that to get uh, out. Of the situations that I was I was very talented in basketball and so that was a tool that uh, God blessed me with that I can use to um, get somewhere and uh, so it was we had to make a tough decision and so I had to go back to Tacoma where I had to face homelessness again and all those things and so uh, in order to play the sport that I love. And so,
0: so you shifted back to Tacoma specifically to... to be able to re-engage
1: with sports. Absolutely. Cause I couldn't, I was a senior. And so oh, okay. if I set out that year, it's over. So I couldn't afford to sit out that year. So I had to come back. My little brother, he was only a freshman at the time. And so he could have, you know, easily set out a year and then keep continue to play. But we were together and we stayed together. And so he came back with me. Um, what happened was um, when I got back to stadium, that uh, stadium was full. We tried to re-enroll back into stadium and stadium was full. The enrollment was full. So I was not allowed to get back into the homeschool. With that said, I was left with three options. Um, I can go to Lincoln, Mount Tahoma, or Foss. And so Lincoln was the closest to my where I was staying. So I chose Lincoln. Well, um, the politics of that is... Um, I'm not back at the school I was originally at, so it still counted as a heart. I mean, as a transfer, and so I couldn't play at Lincoln either. And so now that's traumatizing for a young 17-year-old that loves that sport, and now it's gone. Um, I I met Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly was the high school basketball coach at Lincoln High School. Um, the first day, I go ahead.
0: Remind us again why. Why was it Lincoln was the choice?
1: It was the closest to my house where I was.
0: And you didn't have a choice of, like, going back to stadium. You say it was full.
1: It was full. Enrollment was full when I tried. It was late August and or right before school started when we realized that I wasn't able going to be able to play basketball for Decatur. Okay. So it was. I actually played summer league basketball with Decatur that whole summer, and thinking that that's where I was going to be, and then I, that's when I got the hard reality that you have to go back to Tacoma or you won't be able to play. And so um, I went back and that's where I ended up at Lincoln. Um, When I met Tim Kelly, um, he knew that I had a a, a battle I had to fight to be able to play. And he said, you're going to have to go to some um, uh, hearings and and they're going to decide if your hardship um, can release you to play. And so uh, at my first hearing... I was denied.
0: <clears throat> Who Who's the overseer at the hearings? Is this a city thing or it's a school district thing?
1: School district, the principals. Okay. So in front of a, a committee of principals, I don't know if it was all of them or not. You know, I was a young man, but the principal, I go in front of the principals and present my hardship and I was denied. Um, and so then I was allowed to stay on the team and I played junior varsity because I appealed So after my appeal, I appealed it. So now it moves from the, I'm sorry. It went to the athletic directors, all the athletic directors first. Then I appealed it and it moves to the principals. And then I lost that one as well. Uh, I'm losing these because not Well, I knew it, but not knowing it. Lincoln was a powerhouse basketball team. (laughs) And my little brother at the time was the best basketball player in the state. And I I was pretty good too. So these are really good players joining a really good program. And with that, there's a lot of people saying someone's cheating, someone's cheating. Not really understanding that there's two homeless kids just trying to find their way. (laughs) And so that right there was oppressing to me. You know, that's trying to hold me down while I'm trying to lift out of my circumstances um, so I am so thankful for John Grefstead and Tim Kelly stepping up because I also lost another hearing because it went to the the um, West Central District which is from in Auburn which governs the schools from Auburn all the way to uh, Olympia and I lost that appeal so I lost three in a row um, John Grefstead got a lawyer for me And so we went to the state with a lawyer and that's when I was, I was granted my eligibility to play. Um, I was, go ahead.
0: You know, um, this stirs some, some thoughts for me in regards to having to fight for something that seems like you shouldn't have to fight for at all.
1: No, not at all.
0: It's like, what the heck? Right. Why is the system in the way of, like you say, a couple of homeless kids just trying to find their way?
1: Right. Um,
0: Nobody's seeing
1: that, I guess. And, and what if I wasn't blessed with John Grefstead? Yeah. That's the thing. That's what I always ask myself. John Grefstead is fighting this fight right alongside me. He uh, got the lawyer for me because my mom doesn't have the resources for that. Um, I wouldn't even, she wouldn't even know how to go about getting a lawyer. And so, or that I even needed one, um, it's just basketball and, you know, to her, it's just basketball, you will get over it. But anyway, so, um, I, I, I finished, I mean, I, I was granted my appeal. I mean, I was granted my eligibility and I was able to play, but in the meantime, I had already missed four, four games. I've already played, uh, JV for four games as a senior, which is embarrassing, um, and so when I was granted access to the, to playing, um, you know, everything changed. Like, it's like a light bulb came on. Um, I was, I, I had great success. Um, I, I, Tim Kelly, uh, showed me what structure and stability looks like. Um, he, uh, showed me what, um, John Grefstead showed me what hard work was. He, uh, Tim Kelly showed me the reward of hard work, um, what winning feels like, um, and he, one thing he uh, he used to teach me, and I still it still tics, sticks to me today. Winning is hard. It is winning is hard, not just in basketball but in life. It's hard, so you got to be willing to do what's hard. And because uh, if winning was easy, everybody would do it, and everybody doesn't. And so, um, because of that thought process. I'm always working hard from the moment I wake up to the moment I uh, go to sleep. Um, Robert Joyce, he was the uh, director at the People Center, community center over on the Hilltop. Um, He was instrumental as well as a mentor. Um, That's somebody that I saw that looked like me every single day doing the same work that John Grefstead and Tim Kelly does. The difference is this was a black man that looked like me. John Grested and Tim Kelly, they were great. I, I I wouldn't trade them for the world, but they just didn't look like me, and they didn't act like me, and they didn't come from what I came from. So sometimes it might have been a little bit difficult to understand. Well, um, Robert Joyce was he understood, um, and he had a, he had sons, and I grew up with their sons. His I mean not their sons, his sons, and uh, who, we are still close today. Keenan Joyce works right next to me, and at the Multicultural Center as well and so um, because of those guys and then Donald Thomas um, when John Grefstead brought us back and we had to go back to our mom Donald Thomas uh, Sr. Um, I call him Uncle Don, he took me in too as well, uh, my best friend Anwar Thomas um, finally had enough, like Turner, there's no reason for you to have to keep living like this. You know, my mom was in and out of jail. Um, I don't really like to talk about that part because my, I love my mom and her choices and stuff. So yeah. she, was, it, she wasn't always there for whatever reason. And so um, my my best friend got tired of that. And so he went to his dad and said, um, can Turner live with me? He had a bunk bed in his room already. And so uh, my junior year when I moved back, <clears throat> that summer when I moved back, uh, before senior year, I moved in with Anwar. But it was hard for me because I left my brother. Oh. He was still at home because there wasn't enough room. And so um, I, that's when I got my license and my car and was able to pick him up and make sure we stayed connected that way. But uh, being able to live in a home that had structure and stability as well. Now I'm taking those risks that the rest of my friends were taking. Um, risks like... Um, getting a job. <laughs> That's a big risk. Um, managing time and all that stuff. Uh, I, I started doing those things. I started reaching out and applying for scholarships and just the wall just came. Life just got a little bit more easy because I knew where I was going to sleep. I knew I, what I was going to eat. And it was, it, it was just amazing having those guys. So, um, mentorship. Well, you're a senior in high school, I'm a senior in high school. And,
0: I- uh, describe to us again how this Mr. Kelly came into your life.
1: He was the coach at Lincoln.
0: Okay. That's
1: that's that's how it
0: happened. He was the basketball coach. The basketball coach at Lincoln. And so he helped fight for you to get on the varsity team, ultimately, which you did after four games four into games. the season. Yeah,
1: he was paid. What he did was he was patient enough to because as a high school coach, I was a high school coach for fifteen years. Um, kids transfer in. And they transfer out. That's just what happens. Um, he was patient enough to deal with my circumstance because he, he's. It's a program, so he has a freshman team, a sophomore team, a junior team, and a senior team. And so gotcha. he has four teams with twelve to thirteen players on each team. And sometimes it's it's really hard when you have a whole program that you have to oversee to have to um, manage a eligibility issue, you know. And yeah. so um, I'm so grateful that he took the time to. Um, be patient enough and use his resources to help me um, play. So um, if you get a chance to hear this, Tim Kelly, thank you. Uh, John Grefstead, thank you. Uh, Donald Thomas, thank you. Uh, rest in peace. And then Robert Joyce.
0: That's good testimony there. Yeah. So this mentorship idea, I mean, what you're describing is beyond that, actually. Yeah. I and mean, these are folks that came alongside and invested in your life. Yeah, invested. Uh, a great word. I would say rather than just mentoring per se. Right. They invested in your life. So they saw something in you. Something right. something in you attracted them to engage in this process of assisting you to move to the next level.
1: Right. And
0: um, uh Wonder what wonder what that was. Can you describe that even? do you I, Have you thought about it?
1: I, I still think about it all the time. I was a sixth grader when I met John Grefstead, and I don't know what it was, but he attached himself. Um, I don't know if it was my circumstances. Actually, I do know because now that I'm an adult and I have resources and I have a platform and a place where I at the Multicultural Child and Family Hope Center, it doesn't take anything for me to attach myself to someone or invest into a kid. It's a kid, and so... I think it's just the type of person that you are
0: mm-hmm. or
1: that you become. And I think John Grefstead, he may have done that for other kids as well. It might not be just exclusive to me. Okay. And so um, now that I'm in that position, I don't think it's it was exclusive to me because um, I work at the Multicultural Child and Family Hope Center and it's a social service agency. I'm an ECAP teacher um, and that's for four-year-olds, pre-K. Cap Head Start, those are all this, That's the same thing, just the, the funding is a little different. And then I have this before and after school program. And when you say before and after school program, it kind of doles it down. It's a little bit bigger than that. It's all those things that I got from John Grefstead, Robert Joyce, Donald Tom Thomas, and Tim Kelly, all in one. Um, that investing, all that. Um, I invest in every kid that walks through the door. Or I try to do my hardest to, to, to do that. And um, I, I found a great success with that. You know, um, our program is growing and great things are happening at the multicultural center. Um, I'm a, I'm a leader there. Um, the teachers that work there, um, they are following the lead as well. And, um, I have a great director, Gail Neal. Um, I've learned a lot about from her. Um, I've worked there 20 years, so I've, I better put her on that list of, of people that meant, that's meant toward me and, and helped me grow into the adult that I am.
0: Well, I'd like to insert here that our meeting was fortuitous in a sense because Reed and I were doing a site visit at the Multicultural Center um, looking at what they do as an agency. And, of course, we met uh, Gail and uh, some of the other staff there, and then when we went to your particular facility, we met you. And then in having conversation with you, I recognized uh, that you were a friend of Josh Krosky's. Right. And I thought, this is a really small world here. And hmm. so you and I then made further connection. Right. And uh, so Reed and I were both very impressed with the culture that we felt, literally felt, at uh, at your agency. Right. And it was more than just another nonprofit to us, in a sense. I mean, we really felt a, an interesting powerful um, sense of culture of all of the staff that we met yourself included obviously uh, has this sense of purpose of helping the kids that are coming through that uh, center right. and uh, we sensed it across the street with the youngest kids that were in um, you know nur- in the nursery school or the pre- preschool and then on your side uh, definitely just, there's just this culture there that was really um, hard to miss.
1: Right. Um, we talked about this before in our, in our last meeting. Uh, you say the word culture, and that's the way we act and the way we, you know, we respond and, and things. But we talk about climate at the um, Multicultural Center, and that's the way people feel, and that's the way the children feel when they're there. So you saw our cli- our culture, but you felt the climate, and it made you feel good. And so... Uh, We remind our kids about that. We remind our families and we remind everyone that it's bigger than just culture. It's the climate, how you make people feel within your culture. And so that's a a big piece of it. And thank you for sharing that because that's a feeling that we want everyone to have when they walk in and when they walk out.
0: Well, I know this as a business person over a lot of years, you can't buy that. It's not for sale, right? It's something it's about heart and it's about a feeling of uh, a bigger purpose right. and uh and you can't you can't buy it right and you can't hire for it necessarily it's something that uh is developed within and obviously gail's been a big part of helping to create that but as long as you've been there for 20 years obviously you've been a integral piece of that process
1: yeah, thank you for saying that um that that culture and climate was there when i started so i'll share a little bit about that as well um my girlfriend at the time, when I was uh, 19, um, she her mom was the family support. And what family support is, it's like the counselor at the school, but we're, uh, they're, they're the family support. And so they do the enrollments and they get the resources for the families that need and all, and those things. And my, my girlfriend at the time, what, when I was going to school in Wenatchee, her mom got, gave me a, uh, offered me a summer job, um, offered me a summer job because she knew one of my goals was to become a a teacher and a basketball coach. And so as I was going to school, um, she recognized that. And we talked about those things and um, I was dating a white, a white girl and her mom is white as well. And so she, she, because of that privilege, (laughs) I, she can get me a job. I'll get you a job here. And so that you can be able to get some uh, work experience and so moving forward that can go on to your resume and so that's how I ended up at the multicultural center someone giving me that advice and then me taking that risk and so I got there met Gail and fell in love with the culture and the climate so I went back to school and I worked the summer and went back to school Um, uh, I was a player coach at the time too which is pretty cool I got, I got my uh, college coach offered me a job as a, his assistant while I finished up my little AA, you know, cause I was there for a while. And so, um, after I was done, there, this was at Wenatchee. This is at Wenatchee. So I was there for three years. I, I, or four years at a community college, <laughs> but I was, I redshirted a year. You know, are you familiar with Red Um, that's when, um, something happens, you're hurt or, and so that you don't use it, lose a year of eligibility, you get to sit that year out, be a part of the team, but just don't play any games. Okay. And so I did that, but then I get to come back the next year still as a freshman. And so, um, so I was ahead in my credits. So I got some credits, and then um, I was able to play basketball, but not play any games. The, the, the year after that, now I'm a freshman uh, uh, sports-wise, but a sophomore academically. And so um, I played that season. And then I came back another year to play my sophomore season, and then I graduated. And so then he said, you should stick around one more year and help me coach, and then um, take some more classes towards your teaching degree. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. And so I did that for a year, which worked out great. Now that brings back my little brother. Um, so now my little brother is, he wins a state championship with Lincoln and Tim Kelly. He's MVP of the tournament. MVP of the tournament. He's one of the top players on the West Coast, but um, his grades weren't good enough to go play at the schools that were recruiting him, schools like Gonzaga, Kansas, um, and so on. And so he had to go to a community college as well. So he spent his first year in Iowa. Uh, Kansas was recruiting him, and so they placed him in Iowa so that he can be close to them. And so then when he's done there, he can just transfer right in. Um, while he was there, he had a kid back here in Tacoma, um, so that was the circumstance that brought him brought him back. Um, he came back here, and now I'm the coach at Wenatchee, so he gets to come play at Wenatchee for me and Greg Franz at the time. And so that was a decision I made for my brother as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna coach here. You come here with me. He was my roommate. Um, he's had a couple classes with him and everything to try to help support him and get him through. Um.
0: As you can no doubt tell, Turner is an awesome guy who cares for and about the many youth he works with. As you also heard, Turner made it through some challenging times during his youth, in no small part due to the several key adults who invested in his life at critical times along the way. We should all be asking ourselves if there are others in our lives that we could invest in. We never know how our coming alongside others during critical periods may fundamentally change their life trajectory. Turner's personal story is a powerful testimony of how we each could potentially make a difference in someone else's life. During the last bit of our conversation... Turner talks specifically about the Multicultural Child and Family Hope Center, where he is a key leader.
1: Thank you. Um, I want to start off by reading something by uh, Ashley Warner. Um, it's, it says, uh, beneath every behavior is a feeling, and beneath every feeling is a need. And when we meet that need, rather than focus on that behavior, we begin to deal with the cause and not the symptom. Um, and that was a psychologist named Ashley Warner. Um, i uh I believe in that statement um at the multicultural center um we're one of the only centers that uh take in the kids with the challenging behaviors um a lot of ki- a lot of our kids have challenging behaviors some people call it bad and we just call it challenging uh, at the multicultural china family hope center um uh, we work with a lot of ki- uh children and families that are low income um we uh work with a lot of children that have challenging behaviors and where my heart is the most is we work closely with the foster care community. Um, we have a program there where, um, kids aren't sitting in offices and waiting for social workers to, uh, find placement for them. Um, they're allowed to come to our center and, uh, uh, wait with children and their peers and, and with, um, teachers that can support them throughout the day while the, uh, social workers go do the ugly stuff and make sure that the kids are taken care of. Uh, so those are, those are three components that, um, dynamics that we work with 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 our families Okay, thank you Uh, um, with that uh, we're one of the only centers in the state of Washington that take in those type of kids those children Um, and so with that comes challenging behaviors and so that's why I read that quote Um, if we our our kids aren't struggling like they were wherever they were before and I believe that um, that quote it has a lot to do with that Um, focusing on the need for the child rather than their behavior.
0: To close this episode, I decided to pose a question to Turner that I had long considered but had not yet asked any of my podcast guests. This question may become a signature piece of closing future episodes. Um, Again, my, <laughs> my white privilege gets in the way. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. It does gets in the way of me being able to um craft uh questions in a way that fits where you're at. But what my question was was coming from the perspective of white people just don't get your world. Right. In general. That's the question I'm posing. Okay. What is it that you would like You don't want to just go around with a banner or being angry about stuff or whatever, obviously, and you're not doing that. But if you really had a chance to just be really frank and honest with your white friends and not worried about causing any problems with friendships or whatever, what is it you'd want them to know about uh, your black culture that you believe they don't really understand for the most part?
1: Why? Why? do you think I'm so angry and why do you think I'm so violent? Where do you get that from and why? I do want to know that because okay. uh, culturally I express myself with my hands. Um, I talk loud. I'm not mad. So why do you think I'm angry all the time? And why do you think that w- we as a culture is so violent? Cause we're not. Right. That's one.
0: Okay. That's good. For sure. Yeah. That's good. Any Anything else?
1: Um, I, I might have to get back. That's a great question, Joe. I think you should ask that a lot. You should See, ask See, you know what? I actually... That got, that got me thinking.
0: I've actually been afraid to do that. Right. You know I, I can't tell you why, but it was the very first thing. In fact, if I go back to my initial notes that I started making about what was I going to ask to kind of get the conversation going, mm-hmm. um, that was the first one. And then I sort of x'd it off because i thought well maybe it was too invasive or it was asking you to dig too deep for something that maybe you don't want to right. so maybe i need to put that back on my list
1: <laughs> yeah put it on the list that's a great question um and i'm glad you felt safe to ask it thank you
0: yeah Thank you. well i appreciate the the answer you did give that's a good start right. so uh anyway well i've really enjoyed having a conversation with you here today and uh thank you for being our guest and I look forward to some more in uh conversation and getting together with a group or whatever. I think right. that's really exciting. So right. thank you. Yeah. I hope Turner's story was meaningful and provided you some understanding of the difference we could all make by investing in others. Please consider engaging with us by using our new self-recording feature located at the top of our website at myawakeningpodcast.com. If you would like to comment, ask questions of our guests, or suggest new episode ideas, simply tap the red Start Recording button and record up to five minutes of your own voice. I would love to hear from you and may use your voice in a future episode. Please subscribe and share this episode with others you know who would be interested in our content? Thank you for partnering with My Awakening Podcast to help make liberty and justice for all more than just the closing words of our Pledge of Allegiance. Come
1: on and tell me